Welcome back to the Kenny Chester Podcast. I am your host, Kenny Chester, and today I'm excited to bring to you a conversation that was recorded on the first week of June 2022. It was our second installment of the Camp Knox Roundup. Last year, we sat down with Camp Evangelist and Camp Administrator Brian Madison to talk about the ministry of youth camps and some of our personal experiences in preaching and attending them. This year, we had the camp evangelists, which were myself and Pastor Jonathan Voskis, who is no stranger to the Kenny Chester podcast. He is the pod father. And then with us was Pastor Brian Madison, again, as camp administrator. We talked about youth camp and how it's changed since we've all started doing it. Uh, Pastor Madison has administrated this camp for 13 years. I've been preaching to the since the 2000 and O's, this camp, among other youth camps. Brother Voskis has been preaching youth camps since the 90s, and so he has a youth ministry that has spanned over four decades. So we sat down, put our heads together, we talked about the changing culture and how we have changed our approach to youth ministry, specifically speaking to these young people with our old and aging voices. It was a great episode. I want to give a special shout out to Pastor Burt Jones of the Loose Caboose Nutrition. It is where nutrition and community collide there in Louisville, Mississippi, other locations as well. When the youth camp fatigue was setting in, he fueled us with those great loaded teas. I thank my friend for that. Without any further ado, let's get into the episode. I think you should buckle up. Let's get to work. Seems to me that he shouldn't be saying that. Well, what is it that you want him to say? Shut him down. I am so excited to have joining me today is Pastor Brian Madison of Philadelphia, Mississippi, Pastors Mars Hill Pentecostal Church there in Philadelphia, Mississippi, and Pastor John Voskis from Potts Camp, Mississippi, pastors of Bethlehem Church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Gentlemen, how are you doing? Doing great. God bless you. Doing great. Glad to be here again. We are here once again at Camp Knox. This is the Associated Brotherhood of Christians, Mississippi Camp. I've been coming to this camp off and on for around 14 years now. I think I started on the year before Brother Brian Madison was uh, camp director. And then I've been coming almost every year at some capacity. There was a few years there where I was unable to come. Um, and so I've watched this camp, uh, for 14 years now. And pastor Brian, I know we talked about this, uh, last year at Camp Knox, we thought that might've been the last year. And, uh, here we are again. <laughs> uh, what made you, what made you come back and do it one more time? Well, certainly here we are again and another last year, mm. but no, uh, you know, for like we discussed last year, just the love of the young people, just the burden for our, our generation in today's world. It, uh, we we love these young people and love doing what we do, or or it would be our last year. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I know at the end of youth camp, it's usually easy to talk about giving it up. A couple months rolls by, and you you forget about them late night calls, and uh, that that calling comes back. Um, and we're just going to open today in this conversation. I don't want it to be uh, so rigid that we can't just uh, follow uh, what we want to talk about. And so I'm sitting here today with two men that have been in youth ministry doing youth camps, um, some national offices, district offices. And so I want to talk about these the state. Um, Brother Scott Graham preached a message one time at a Congress called the State of the Youthian, uh, and a play on the words of the State of the Union. And so um, this week, we've talked a lot about the culture um, that our young people are living in these days. I want to open it up to you guys. Through y'all's vast experiences that have spanned literally decades, what are you seeing you know, emerging in this generation? What are some of the things that concern you? What are some of the things that give you hope? Um, Brother Voskis, I know you've been preaching youth camp since the 90s. So I want you to weigh in here and tell us a little bit about um, still in your 50s now and preaching youth camps. <laughs> You're still able to connect. And man, what a, a tremendous job you've done preaching this week. Tell us a little bit about your experiences and where you're at uh, on the state of the youthian. Well, young people have changed a lot. When I, when I first started, social media was not a thing. The internet really wasn't a thing. I'm not even really sure if people, if cell phones were that widely used when I first started preaching youth camps. So uh, young people were in more of a shell. And we were fighting, trying to keep them from being exposed to things. It was, in a lot of ways, trying to build castles around our young people. Well, now that's that's gone that's right. impossible we cannot shield them from the world and so now what 
I think we deal with in youth camps is is more trying to get young people to believe they can do something for God. The whole world is designed to drag them down. Mm. Everything's everything's rated by likes and clicks and and thumbs up, thumbs down. Everything is related to instant response from people. And and self-worth goes up and down based on what people you don't even really know. Right. How they judge your social media. Well, so now young people, young people are more exposed to the world. We can't shield them. We can't hide them. So now we have to equip them. Before, it was keep them motivated, keep them out of the world, hope we can keep them away. Now we know they're in it. We got to equip them on how to handle it. That's one of the reasons why the lessons that you've taught this week uh, are so powerful because it's revealing a the contrast between a Pentecostal mentality, a Christian mentality, and a worldly concept. Right. And so it's changed a lot. I told him, I don't remember if it was last night or the night before, when I first started preaching, my hardest task was try to convince people that they need God. Everybody right. was saved. Everybody it didn't matter what they did in their life. Everybody was saved. Well, now culture has beaten people down so much that my greatest task is to try to convince people that God wants them and believes in them and wants them to succeed. It's a radically different, radically different approach to ministry. That's a great point. I, I was reading somewhere that with the rates of anxiety and depression and suicide or suicidal thoughts among teens um, are linked to the rise of social media, specifically the, the smartphones, because we the kids would grow up in our generations and if you were having trouble at school, you left it at school and you came home. I mean, maybe the bus ride, you might have had a bully on a bus ride or something like that. But now, you know, they have this entire world that they're living in 24-7. You know, the only times, you know, and of course, if good parenting could put a stop to some of this. But the, the fact is, if the horse is out of the barn, so to speak, on, on, on their digital life, you know, they are, they are exposed. Like, you, they don't leave the bullies at school you know they're being bullied on social media they're you know even if it's not a, a physical bully just that that high mark of i you know this is the perfect ideal and if you're not hitting this you know you got a friend that's getting 700 likes on their posts and you got 3 you know and 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 they've got this aura of beauty and popularity and 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 bro that's that's getting to our young specifically our young ladies you know and it's just you know they just it just doesn't turn off i think one one of the things as as Christian leaders that we have to really conceive is in the Bible, it was very often when there were things that they thought were their enemy turned out to be their friend. God raised up. In the book of Judges, God raised up enemies for Israel to help them to turn back to him. And so when I think when we look at some things in our modern culture that we view as our enemy, in reality, they're really our friend. Yeah. This this whole social media mentality. I don't want to. I don't want to make my elders mad. Yeah. I guess I'm an elder now, so I don't want to make myself mad. But, <laughs> but what I don't want to. What I when I look at this generation, when I look at this world, one of the downfalls, in my opinion, of Pentecostalism over the years, has been that we've tried to build castles. We've tried to to isolate the church to keep it to keep to keep ourselves saved to keep our young people right. saved. Well, now we can't do it, and so now the church is forced to be in the world, and that pushing us out from our castle mentality has the opportunity to give us a great revival. Right, right. It's kind of like in the early church in the Book of Acts when they were Absolutely. all congregating there in Jerusalem. That persecution that drove them out spread out the flames of revival. Now they're Absolutely. having revivals in other cities because they're taking the gospel with them as they're fleeing their strongholds. Right. I think we all, I, I think there's probably unanimity at this table that we see the detriment of social media. Right. We see how dangerous it is. We see the pitfalls of it. But how many eyeballs see our churches across the country and the world because of the same thing that we hate so much, right? And so one of the things that it's done is it's pushed our church. It's put us on the world stage. 
we just have to not be silly and ignorant when we're out there. That's right. That's a great point. It's a great point. Uh, Pastor B, on uh, 13 years of doing this specific camp, and of course you've had a lot of life changes during this time. When I met you, y'all, you just had another baby, and you were not yet pastor. Now you're pastoring. What is your, I wouldn't say opinion, but your perspective on young people in youth ministry, specifically like a youth camp setting, how do you see it changing um, over the years? And like, what are you trying to do now that maybe was not on the radar back then? Like, what is one of the attempts, like a, like a conscious effort? We're going we're gonna to target this, or we're going to aim at this. Well, certainly, as Brother Voskis has mentioned, you know, over the course of time, in the last 13 years, the, the generations have changed a lot. And there's been a lot of influence, of course, with social media, as he's already mentioned. And I'm not going to elaborate there much, but uh, and certainly transitioning of myself to a pastoral um, role in a church, is uh, it changes your mentality. I, you know, it may just be me, but you, when you're just serving as a, a youth leader and uh, or, you know, over this camp, and then you transition to pastor uh, in your local church. Um, it changes your mentality. It changed my mentality on on different things. A lot of a lot of things maybe that I might have been guilty of overlooking before. But uh, responsibility, and and I believe that we have a great responsibility as as men of God in this day that that we 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 got to head off some some of these things that can cause great tragedy in our in our youth group, not just our youth group, but in our churches as a whole. But, but I've seen in 13 years a transition of, of how um, certainly it derives from the different things that we, we deal with, but of how these young people carry themselves, as Brother Vasquez has already mentioned. And it's, it's, it's all we can we, we want to pinpoint it as, as all directed towards social media. And I would agree that, that 90% of that is toward that. It's the... Uh, they're they're looking at the world's view of the of them rather than their view of of what God has has laid in store for them. So I think in this what we're in today is is as as both you guys already mentioned and done a fantastic job this week preaching and teaching on on the reality. I mean it's the reality of what we're living in today and and um, different things we want to just skip over sometimes, but. And I guess that as transitioning pastor, I've opened my eyes to, you know, we we can't just trust that our kids are have got this. You know, we, right. we've we got to make sure this is instilled. And, and when planning on camp, you've, you've just got to uh, first, you you know, certainly pray about it. But you need you got to you got to get people in line that that you, you know, that's going to be obedient to the to the voice of the Lord, regardless of how um, it may seem to come across. Uh, different topics different subjects but but uh we're, we're at a day that you know we're, we can either win them or we're going to lose them and uh and we neither capture their attention with the biblical facts or this world's going to get their attention with with their point of view um youth campus this year has has been you know great every year it just seems like it's a, a greater success and and on on my end of the spectrum it's been really an easy count for me, but for 13 years, we've been trying to make this a better camp and put better, add things for the kids to enjoy after, after service events. And, uh, but when you get the right people in play, you get staff. And, uh, it's, it's certainly when you got people that, that have the same heart you do for young people and, and want to see them reach their ultimate goal, you know, then, then it makes, it makes life easy. I remember at the beginning of the week, you told me, it's like, man, I almost feel guilty. I've spent less time on the campgrounds this year than I have in 13 years. And I was like, B, you, you've done this for 13 years. You're currently being shaded by the tree that you planted. You know, you're eating from that fruit. You know, it's, you, sh you know, after 13 years, there should be things that, you know, that you've got leadership that you've got and some delegation. And I'm telling you, man, that the staff here is just, it's not only do they get things done, their spirit, man, and loving these kids, all of them. You can tell you've been grown men that literally could be doing anything else this week, could be anywhere in the world, you know, got the money to travel. I'm literally staying in a, in a camper this week of a of a man that, that just, they could be, they could, he's off work. He's, he's an old rigger, right? Or he worked 21 on, 21 off. Yeah, could be doing anything. 
And this man is up at night being chased through the dorms <laughs> by 13-year-old boys with wet towels. You know, but you could tell they're not only getting the job done, but they love young people. Absolutely. And I think, honestly, that's something that I've seen in, in over the years in youth ministry, my experience. I started out no, kind of like hearing this phrase, but it took me a while to know that it wasn't just cliche, that these, these kids, especially some of these that come, you know, church camp is an opportunity for young people to come that maybe have terrible home lives and get a little a little taste of that, you know, what, what ought to be. And I'm not saying youth camp's not without problems and without, you know, mean kids and, and, and kids that are trying to be immoral. I'm not saying that. But I am saying some of these kids coming from severely broken homes and drug addictions, and they come and get a little taste of this heaven. And, and bro, you don't even have to be an incredible preacher. You don't have to have the coolest lights and the best music just to get them out of that environment and love these kids into the kingdom. Uh, I, I, that's something that I always, always heard it said that, you know, that, you know, they just need to be loved. They need to know that there's, a, there's, you know, there's people that's pulling for them and caring for them. And that's something I've changed a lot over the years, especially in, in my role as administrator in some camps, is that I do, I do want to perform with excellence. I do want to have the cool things. I do want them to want to come to camp. But while they're here enjoying those things, man, I want to put my arm around them. You know, I don't want to go to the the, the room after I'm done preaching and only emerge when it's time to hit the pulpit again. You don't want to be out there, throw, you know, volleyball, you know, playing, you know, doing the cornholes, staying up late, playing games, doing, you know, it's just, and you can tell when you make an impact on a kid, they're just, you know, they want to come up to you, they want to hang out with you, you know, and it's just something I've noticed Brother Vasquez this week. And I was curious because I remember Brother Vasquez um, I can't say the 90s because I didn't come into this thing until the 2000s. I was a you know, teenager in the 90s, but I just didn't have an exposure to Brother Vasquez. He was youth pastoring um, at that time. But I, I got ex- exposed to Brother Vasquez's ministry in the early 2000s. And he was our national youth president for the Assemblies of the Lord Jesus Christ at the time. Um, he had came back to Potts Camp to pastor that great church there. And I got introduced to him. He was preaching a rally. At, in the Mississippi district and I just fell in love with his ministry and so that that had probably been close to 20 years ago 15 20 years now and he, he was such he could connect with young people and I was curious I was like you know I wonder now how if life has changed him he's pastoring this great church he's second you know uh, in line of, uh, as far as our, our organization he's the first assistant superintendent of the ALJC uh, he travels the world does missions works all all of the things he's got all the things but it's so encouraging, Brother Vasquez, to see you on these campgrounds talking to kids, you know, asking about them and getting a part of their lives. And it's just, you, mean, you could be that guy. You could be the guy in the hotel room. And we wouldn't think nothing of it. You'd come and preach. We'd have a Holy Ghost move. But, man, you up on these campgrounds with these kids, it's been tremendous. And I, I want to just say thank you for that. You know, uh, it, it's, been, it's been an encouragement. And so what do you think? So you've been a camp evangelist now spanning Three decades now, or this is the fourth decade. It's nineties, the O's, the tens, and now the twenties. So going wow. into your fourth decade of camp I evangelism, just, I just aged a lot <laughs> in the last ten seconds. Wow. So what do you see uh, across the years? Like I know you've already mentioned how it was before. It was like you got to, you know, you need God, and now you know you're preaching. You know you're worthy. You know to to. You know, I should say worthy. You know. Theologically, I don't, I'm not trying to get into discussion here, but God loves you, and God yeah. wants to, you know, bring you into the kingdom. That that so, but beyond that, how do you, after being a youth pastor, and I don't, I'm not trying to set you up to say something. You've said something before, and if you don't say it, I'll, I'll mention it later on about when you were youth pastoring, how that impacted you as a pastor. Now, um, in fulfilling the role that you are in now, how has it changed for you your outlook in youth ministry and these youth camps? Um, and and at the stage of life that you're in now, how has that uh, that changed? Well, one thing, it's a privilege to have people that are not in your generation invite you into their life. Right. You know, I have a lot in common with you guys. We're closer in age. We're fathers. We're husbands. Uh, we're in, we're in ministry. We have a lot in common. It's it should not it should not feel unusual for you guys to invite me into your life. But for someone that's of a different generation, different paradigm, different everything, yeah. to invite you into their life is a privilege. And so a, a young girl came up to me yesterday. Uh, my guess is she's probably 12 or 13, maybe, maybe 14. I, I'm not good at estimating age anymore. Yeah. 
but uh, but she she started telling me a little bit of her story. Her dad's not in her life, has no connection with her. Um, he's he's not living for God. She's concerned about him. She misses him. She wishes wishes that he was in her life. You know, for a a child that age to to invite you into something that that's that uh, uncomfortable in life, right? And so she gave me her dad's name, and I have a I have an alert every morning to pray, and I put her dad on that list because it's a privilege for someone right. to invite you into their life. Um, young people, this is my conviction. This is a and and when I this is not to me it's not an opinion; it's a conviction. There's a difference between opinions and convictions. My conviction is that this is the most potential full generation the church has ever had oh yeah it's the most educated generation of young people uh the most the the most uh technologically proficient absolutely they've got gifts and talents that they have have had bred into them because they're not digital immigrants like i am they're digital natives you know i'm an immigrant i moved into a digital age kicking and screaming (laughs) they drug us Um, into it (laughs) there's times i look at my phone and i'm just like i hate you (laughs) And, today. Yeah, if yeah. it had a soul, I would be in trouble because <laughs> I hate it sometimes. But, but I'm looking at this generation, and there's so much potential in them. And if my generation ever gets to an adversarial viewpoint where it's us against them, our ways against their ways, it's not my job to get them to love everything I love. All right. Other than truth. Right. It's my job to get them to, a, to love God with the things that they love. And so I, we were doing a song at church, and, and this is no slight to our music team. we got an awesome music team. Oh, yeah. um, they're anointed. They're spiritual. They're, they're, they pray. But sometimes they sing songs that I have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> you know, yeah. just the, the terminology. It's like I'm reading a, a poetry book or something. I don't know what they're trying to say. Because it's not my language. Right. And the other day there was, and I was trying to figure out what, what the song's really trying to say. And I'm just like mentally scratching my head. And then I look across about 50 foot away and I see my 16 year old and my 12 year old daughters with their hands up crying, right. worshiping God. And I thought, I don't know what they're trying to say, but they know what they're trying to say. And if I'm not spiritually mature enough at 50 that I don't have to be spoon-fed Gerber baby food every service for me to be right, my job as a father is to help those kids. And I think if we'll look at that generationally in youth ministry and understand that my job is not to get them to want what 50-year-old camp evangelist wants. My job is to get them to want the same God Right. That I want. Right. That's but a, I got to do it on their terms sometimes. You know, just hearing you talk about that's got my mind just, wheels just turning a million miles an hour. I was thinking, so we, we, we can read the historical record and know that every peoples, like tribes, you know, look in the book of Revelation, you got all these different people groups, tribes of every nation, all these different, you know, languages, ethnicities, all these things represented in heaven. And you look at over time, it's like, okay, we know how the Corinthians, you know, their church was like because we've got, you know, a biblical record. We know how the church of Ephesus and all this stuff. And so you look at it post the apostolic age, like those people related to God in their context, how the words that they use, even as bound, you know, down to the practical as, as the language. You know, they, they sung songs in their own language. They sung songs with their musical influences. You know, African godly apostolic music sounds different than mississippi apostolic music and mississippi apostolic music is not any more anointed than the tribal you know tambourine and 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 congo banging you know it it and so they have to relate to god through the 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 mechanisms that they grew up in and so if we are honest with ourselves we know that the world has changed drastically in the last 20 and 30 years 
faster than any explosion of growth, technological advances, all these things in any other period of the world, like the technological advances that have been made and this connecting of the world, like where the world is a lot smaller because of the Internet and you can pick up these influences here and this here, you know, can we not operate, like you're saying, with enough grace to say these kids, they they literally, they're not living in the same world. Like, they, they, they occupy a completely different space. They use different language. They have different music. They have all these things. And we can say, well, it's too fast, too soon. But it wasn't their decision for the world to flash forward as fast as it did. They're just living in the culture that they're And we're not saying as the culture, like, to be ungodly and be immoral. But we're saying... This is their context. And we, we, we view history and say, well, that makes sense. These peoples were separated by 200 years and 2,000 miles. Of course they're going to relate to God differently. But I don't think we give enough credit and credence to the idea that these kids are further from us than two people groups 200 years in the Middle Ages because the pace of history was marching at a certain cadence back then, and a whole lot didn't change over 300 years. But in our lifetime, it changed more in 20 than it did in 500 years back then. That's it's, an, it's changed more in the last two years yeah. than it had in 20 years combined. Right. We can look back and see where things were put in motion over the last 20 years. But the last two years, from the, the beginning of the COVID pandemic to right. now, exactly. has radically changed the world. These kids, we can't, we, we can, we can sit back and bemoan that the world's different now but they don't know it is right this is the only world they've ever known it's the only society they've ever known our we 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 can discuss if things should be like they are but the reality is they are like they, they are. are like it yep. and so we have to train these these i could start to call them children they wouldn't like it but they're probably not listening anyway <laughs> so we got to train these children that that you can retain your apostolic identity while living in a modern culture, but you don't have to let the culture live in you. Yeah. And, and it's not going to be easy. No, no. But the world that, that we grew up in, you know, the baseball, hot dogs, apple pie, Chevrolet world that, yeah. we, that we grew up in where everything was just, you know, American, it's not the world they grew up in. They're growing not. up in a culture where that where everything's changed biological we, truth is we, changing before absolutely. Our eyes. we yeah. can't go back and get that america back but if you read the bible the world we grew up in can't exist for the book of revelation to happen exactly and so we can look at all the stuff we've lost we can look at, at and cry about how everything's changed or we can look at the bible and say hey, this means that we're in the greatest moment for harvest that there's ever been. Right. And these young people at this camp and at all the youth camps going on around the country this summer and the world this summer, these young people are the ones that are going to see the greatest revival in the history of the world. Right. And so we're privileged to be able to work with them. Right. Man, how exciting is it for us to have just a little fingerprint on the lives of the generation that's going to see the greatest outpouring of the spirit that the world has ever yeah, seen. Absolutely. And that's exciting. I feel like sometimes we're I feel in the Holy Ghost yeah, right now. I feel like sometimes we're, we're grieving and we got our black clothes on. We're in the mourning period. We got ashes, you know, and we're grieving this, this, this death. And it's, it's true. And we feel those, those are literal emotions. And I loved the, the, the world that I grew up in, you know, but we're, we're we're sitting there grieving and the young people cannot they cannot connect or relate to our grief because they did not know the person that we knew and so we're sitting there in sackcloth and ashes and it's time for david to get up the child is dead right you know that child's not coming back it's dead wash yourself anoint yourself and go and i think that's where we're at we're still and i shouldn't say we a lot of us you know are still grieving and sure. it's like, hey, it's time to get anointed again, yeah. David. There's a, there's a new song to be wrote. There's a new message to be preached. And there's a generation. You've, okay, you lost this child. you got a Solomon coming. Yeah. You know, you've got a future in your house. Stop grieving on what has passed. You know, it, there's, there's, there's two sides to that. Because when you look at, 
When you look at the story of Job, Job lost all his children. Right. Well, the book of Job ends with this, this great chapter that says that he got everything back and he had more kids than he had before. You know, so he, it's like, but the problem with that is Job loved all of his new children, but he never quit loving the ones he buried. Right. You know, he, he had this beautiful, bright future, but he still grieved the ones he lost. Right. And, and we can grieve what's changed and still embrace the future. Yeah. When, when uh, my wife and I, when we were married, we had trouble having children, miscarriages, molar pregnancy. It was, it was, it was a chore. Um, we actually went to the doctor, the, the, the famous doctor that was responsible for the septuplets that were born, the famous, and, and I'm glad he did that. That, uh, <laughs> that happened. That was somebody that he, else's blessing. Yeah, I'm <laughs> glad that he didn't, uh, he, he wasn't that good with us. But, uh, but when, we had, when we had Ellie, my oldest child, for the last two hours before Ellie was born, while my wife is in labor and we're in the room and, and my, my, my mother-in-law and sister, sister Pat Wilson and the nurses were in the room, I literally cried for two hours over the babies we lost. Yeah. Um, the nurses were crying because, I mean, it was like before I could really move on into the future, I had to grieve. Right. Absolutely. And, and, man, I cried for two hours. And if you know me well, I'm not a crier. Right. You know, I'm just not. Uh, but I, man, since we're preachers, it's, you don't cry, you weep. So I yeah. wept for two hours. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Weeping's more dramatic. Um, it sounds more... Yeah. You don't want to cry all yeah. night, but no, you can no. weep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, Crying's for babies, but, the but, but weeping the is for... Yeah, right. so, so I wept for two hours. Yeah. But when that baby was born, I wept again. Yeah, but not grief. But it wasn't grief. Right. And, and generationally... We can grieve what the babies that, that uh, I say, the, the things that are no longer like they are. Yeah. But we cannot afford to lose our joy for the future. Right. And, you know, th there's, you know, there's I, great revival in this generation. Yeah. It's a privilege to be a part of them. I'm excited. Amen. Something you said, and I wanted to come back because I literally, I used to, I had preached this years ago, and we had a man in our church preach this past Sunday about um, suffering, and, and, and he talked a lot about what Job went through. And um, I, 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 I was understanding that Job got back, you know, double and, and more than everything. I thought his kids, I thought he had the same amount of kids. And I could be wrong, but I was drawn and years ago to this. I always preached it as a point in my message. I've never made a whole message out of it. But there is a, there's something it said about Job's daughters. It's closing out. If you read the book of Job, it's got all these long speeches. His friends are, you know, on these soliloquies, and they're just insufferable, you know, and all this stuff. They go through this, these huge diatribes, and it's like, okay, okay. The, 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 what we know about Job is covered really in the early part of the stories, and then it's just speech after speech after speech after speech. And then you have this great ending. It says this about the daughters of Job. It says, so he has, he has these sons. And then he has these daughters. It names the daughters, and there's some theological implication of the names. One of them name means dove, which is awesome. Um, but it says, in all the land, there were no daughters as beautiful as Job's daughters. They were the fairest in all the land. They were more beautiful than anything that any of his peers had ever produced. I'm already I, I get chill bumps now. <laughs> but it, but the, the idea being that that you go through this suffering. You go through the grief, you go through the miscarriages, you go through the, the pain and the loss that you've endured, but what, what you still have on the horizon is more beautiful than anything that you lost. And we've got men out there that are grieving over what they lost in the church and, 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 and the country, and, but what they don't realize is that there's something more beautiful than anything they ever had, and it's more beautiful than anything that's been produced in the world to this point. <clears throat> And what you're saying is, you know, we have, we, have, we have this small part we can play in this last day revival, and it's more beautiful. Another thing it says about his beautiful daughters, it said that he gave them an inheritance among their brothers. Mm -hmm. So you got these, these, got these beautiful 
daughters. One of them is the dove. I think the other one was like perfume, you know, this anointing. This, it's just so, so much you could preach. And I've never preached. I don't know why I haven't. It. It's always been just a sub, like a subsidiary point or ancillary point. But it's like, man, not only were they beautiful, not only were all the ugliness that Job endured with the bulls and the, and the, you know, the wounds and the ashes and all this stuff, that at the end he produced something beautiful and then they were able to possess something that normally women wouldn't be able to possess. They, they, they had pieces of land, they had an inheritance with the men. And I just thought, man, this, what, a, what a tremendous tip of the hat you know, to, to, to God saying, you know, I know you're experiencing grief and loss, but there's still beauty that's going to come out of this. Yeah. Thinking about that story, and most scholars believe that Job is the oldest book of the Bible. That it was that the story of Job predated the uh, you know the, the the other books. If that's the case, and you put that in perspective, and you think about the patristic society they lived in, mm-hmm. for a daughter at that time to get an inheritance, right? I mean, it it was revolutionary. That's, that's a good thought. It's a, it's a race to preach it. Which one of the three of us are going first? <laughs> You're preaching tonight, ain't you? I'm preaching tonight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, me, uh, and we're we're at the 35 minute mark. I have I'm, I've got no. I, I don't mind doing long form podcasts. I know we've got stuff we got to get out there and do. The camp we got the shades pulled in this camper. It, it literally might be burning down in flames right now with all three of us in this camper. Um, but if this is your last year um, as being camp director, what if you could? And let this audience that's listening today on this podcast, let them stand in place. Let them be a placeholder of all the generations that have, or the, all the, the kids that have come through here. Um, you're Moses. You're leaving the scene. Um, you're not going to lead anymore, if, if that is the case. What's your, what's your parting message? What do you want the young people to take you know, with them under the next guy's leadership? Like, what do you tell a young people that, that are, are, are going into some new promised lands. And maybe you're not going to be the one leading. What, what, do you, what is your final address? Well, it's, it's basically what we've discussed here already as far as in the greatest, you know, I believe this is the greatest time for this generation, for the greatest revival we've ever seen. But uh, we, I believe that we have to implant something in these young people's spirit that they – understand that they don't have to have me to have revival they don't have to have yeah. a kenny chesser or brother Voskis to to continue to fight for the lord you know thank the lord that they we've we've got each other and these young people have you know us and but but realistically for us to do our job for me to do what what i feel like the lord has is asked of me is to that when i do depart that I've, I've left something that these young people, the generations that are with us today, that will will, will not back down. You know, yeah. they they will continue to 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 live for God and 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 hold the banner of faith higher higher than they've ever held it before. Um, so we we got we we've got to to leave a mark to a generation that, regardless of the leadership. Uh, they have something in their spirit that that they understand this is worth fighting for, and it's worth um, if, if, even if if leadership came in and it wasn't exactly how we 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 thought it would be, or you know, we've got to embed something in these young people that that's just part of the world we're living in today. Just as you we've all mentioned, yeah. Um, you you've got to we. They've got more ability today to change the young people. They got more ability to change the world today than I have. So if they will, if we can get that in, embedded in their spirit, and um, then, then I believe that that we're as men, we can fulfill what God has called us to do in this last day. I think it's interesting that the Bible is very interested in genealogy, and in the line of succession. Um, starting from the first man and the genealogies that it gives, the accounts. And then when you get to the roll call of the patriarchs, it's never just the God of Abraham, it's God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. I think there's a, you know, right there early on, it's this embedded, you know, principle that it's bigger than one man. You know, it's bigger than one ministry. You know, that the church has to carry on. You know, we're, we're, 
one man is not greater than the sum of all our parts. You know, we've got to be able to, and, and Paul picks up on note to this when he's like, I'm glad I didn't baptize. <laughs> you know, I don't want people saying I'm of Paul and I'm of, you know, uh, this ministry and that ministry. And so, um, Brother V, won't you uh, take us out and tell us, so you've already left the scene, the national scene as a youth president. So you've, you've been through this. Um, you've been pulled back into youth ministry at various times uh, through people that still love your voice and love your uh, ability to connect and uh, preach to young people. Tell us uh, now as a, a pastor, um, oh, I remember what I was going to have you say a while ago. Uh, I tried to set you up for it. Uh, you've said so many wise things over the years, you probably couldn't narrow it down. You told me, you said this at a Let's Talk one time. You said that as a youth pastor, your goal was to, it actually might have been a youth work session and not Let's Talk at a, in a National Youth Convention. You said it was your goal to build saints for Steve Wilson. And that's what you treated youth ministry as. I'm building saints for Steve Wilson. That was the pastor of the Potts Camp Church while you were youth uh, pastor. And then you said when you were called back to take that church, what you realized was you were building saints for John Vasquez. Because those young people had now graduated out of the youth group and they're serving in those capacities of the church. And it kind of shows you the awesome responsibility we have in youth ministry and how, you know, we've got to have the right um, attitudes and the right uh, motives, you know, in doing that. And so, so won't you speak a little bit now as a pastor and being in youth ministry for so many years and watching, I watch you you know, from a distance and up close on times, you're still very much involved in your young people's lives. You know, you're pouring into young ministry. You know, it's something that is just in you. You do it. I don't even know if you, I know you have intentional programs at the church, but at conferences, it just, I feel like it's in your nature. You, you bring in, and I'm, I'm one of those testimonies that I can say that it's been over the years that way for me. Won't you tell us just a little bit about now your role as pastor and, and a, uh, office holder of the ALJC, how do, what do you see now your role is uh, in fulfilling uh, what your responsibility is to the next generation? You know, I've lived most of my ministry trying to build something. And now I've gotten to the age where I'm trying to leave something. Yeah. And so it's a little bit of a different mentality. I'm not thinking so much about what am I going to build. I'm thinking about what am I going to leave behind. And so when, when I think about, you know, it's my opinion and earlier I said something was a conviction so now this is an opinion <laughs> it's my opinion that a pastor's golden years are when his kids are teenagers because whether we want to admit it or not revival spirit almost always comes through our teenagers and 20-somethings yeah. they're the ones with the energy our finances comes from their parents and grandparents but our spiritual vitality comes to the young people. Yeah. And a pastor's never more connected to his youth group than he is when his kids are young. And That's so I feel like in that sense, I'm sort of in my golden age as a minister because my kids are in that age group. Consequently, we have young people at our house every night. Yeah. Um, I told somebody the other day that in one week, in one week, uh, we went through eight gallons of chocolate milk. <laughs> I don't drink milk. It's yeah. the bodily fluid of a cow. <laughs> and so um, so yeah. eight gallons of chocolate milk. Right. Uh, we, you know, we start, we buy, we buy groceries knowing we're going to have kids there all the time trying to eat. Yeah. Um, we have kids that will call us and say, hey, Pastor, you got anything to eat? They don't have families like yeah. I grew up in. You know, they don't have homes like I grew up in. And so whether we have something to eat or not, we're going to have something to eat by the time they get there. Um, and so I have that connection to the young people at our house. All of us, no matter how highly we think of ourselves, all we are is a bridge. I'm a bridge from Bishop Steve Wilson to the next pastor of the church. It's not my church. Right. I'm a temporary placeholder. Doesn't mean I can't do something for God. Doesn't mean I can't leave a legacy, but I'm a bridge. And so if I'm building that for me, then it's not going to work because I'm not going to be there. Yeah. And so we're a bridge. When it comes to working with young people, we have to understand that our generation's here for a reason. Our generation is here to train the next generation. You have in the Bible, 
there arose a generation that knew not the Lord, nor the works which he had done in Israel. You can blame that young generation for not knowing the Lord. That's on them. They got to learn how to pray, worship, read the Bible. But it's not their fault they didn't know the works he had done in Israel. Yeah. The previous generation had failed to let them know what God had done. That's very good. And, and it's so, even rooted in the Shema in Deuteronomy. It's not, it's not the command wasn't children learn these things. The command was parents teach the children. Right. And he said, put them as frontless between your eyes. In other words, in everything you see, yeah. you see your ability to pass something on to the next generation. Yeah. Um, you know, this you makes know. me think of a, a conversation me and you had, one of our famous coffee shop conversations where we were talking about the patriarchs. And uh, we, we got, you know, we were quizzing each other. And I had, that day I had the question for you. I was like, what was Isaac's great claim to fame? You know, we know the God of Abraham and God of Jacob. And if you read the book of Hebrews, you get a lot of page devoted to Abraham and Jacob or Israel. Um, not much Isaac, but he's got the name right there in the middle. And this whole concept you're talking about, this bridging mentality. And I, so I was like, I was, I was uh, tasked to teach a lesson on the, on the man Isaac for one of our classes. Uh, one of our teachers out of town said, you got Isaac, Brother Chester, would you come in and sub for me? I said, absolutely. So I started reading some uh, rabbis' opinions on Isaac. And basically he was, and this is that conversation that day, I was like, he was a man that was just, he was the man in which things happened. That was the title of a, book, of a chapter that I read. It's like he's the man that things had happened to. Every major event in Isaac's life happened to him. He was not proactive. You know, it was reaction. He, you know, what was his major events? He was bound by his father, the near sacrifice of Isaac. He had a wife chosen for him, Rebecca, um, and his sons deceived him. Rebecca and his son deceived him. All these things happened to him. When there was conflict with his wells, he didn't raise an army like his dad. You know, he said, well, move down and dig another well. <laughs> he was very passive. But in Hebrews, this is what it said of Isaac. By faith, he procured a blessing for future generations. He was just a conduit. And, and God says, that's good enough. If you can hold and harness the promise, the covenant, and just bless it. And I'm, the question I asked you that day was, where did laying on of hands come from? and invoking blessings because it's something that's very much in the church today. Paul writes and says, by the laying on of hands, the presbyter laying on of heads. I was like, did Isaac invent that? Because it says by faith, yeah. he passed on a blessing. He secured a blessing. Like, I don't know. Maybe they were doing it before, but I, I couldn't find it in recorded history. Isaac might have been the one just says, all right, y'all come here. <laughs> you know, and, and then his, his sons did it and his grandson, they just laid hands. And it's like, this is how we're going to bless the next generation. But that's what he did. He passed it on. He was just that conduit like you're talking about. Yeah. You know, Joseph, or I'm sorry, Isaac, uh, Isaac doesn't get the, the publicity because Isaac didn't appear to have the character flaws that Jacob had to overcome. That's a very good point. You know, Jacob had to overcome Jacob. Right. And so... Isaac Isaac had to overcome Jacob a little bit. <laughs> Isaac had to overcome. Yeah, that's a fact. Isaac had to overcome Ishmael and yeah. Jacob and Abraham. And Abraham trying to kill yeah. him. I mean, my lord, this yeah. man. And so the thing I find about interesting about Isaac was that it appears that his greatest strength was that he didn't resist. You know, more than because of the age of Abraham when Isaac was born, Abraham was was over a hundred years old, right. probably 116 to 130 when Isaac was bound to the altar. There's not a 116 year old man that's ever lived probably that could bind a 18 year old boy. Right. We think to of an a altar. child, but it's pro more probable that he's a teen or yeah. early a young adult. Yeah. I've seen estimates up to 30 years that's old. But obviously I've read um, that as well. But it, let's just say he's 18. And you're not going to get an old man that just climbed a hill right? to be able to chase down an 18-year-old and make him lay down on an altar. There had, to be a, there, had to be a, there had to be an acquiescence on the part of Isaac that if my father says, I need to be on the altar, I may not like it, I may not understand it, but if that's what he says, that's what I'll do. Yeah. And so... In that, in that bridge from Abraham to Isaac, you have someone that's just willing to do what the Father says do. Yeah. 
and that willingness opens up the opportunity. Right. He, he protects. Your willingness to obey protects the promise that's inside of you. Man, yeah. And if you don't do that, then you can't pass the promise on to Jacob. And then and, and the whole process of Jacob's life is breaking Jacob down to the point to where, you know, Isaac didn't have to limp to be able to obey God. Yeah, that's good. Jacob had to limp. Right. Some people, the reason they have to go through so much is because they're, they got a strong will. They got that yeah. will yeah. that has to be broken. Right. And then you have an Isaac. And so that's my, you know, they, they say that, that, and I don't, man, I'm getting off on a rabbit trail. You knew it was going to happen at least once. Yeah. I was reading about prayer because the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. And if anybody knew how to pray, it was them. Yeah. They had been raised on morning prayers, afternoon prayers, evening prayers, pray the Shema, you know, all pray, 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 the Teflon to, to feel in on their, you know, they prayed all the time. Right. But then they saw Jesus pray and said, no, we know how to pray. <laughs> That's we don't know how to pray point. like he does. Right. But I read somewhere that they believe that Abraham began morning prayers. Isaac began afternoon prayers and Jacob began evening prayers. And if that's the case, I read it in some rabbinical commentary somewhere. If that's the case, then each generation didn't abolish what the previous generation did. They added to it. Oh, they wow. built on it. Yeah. Isaac built on what Abraham did and Jacob built on what Abraham and Isaac did. And so if we'll take what our elders gave us and build on it, and hand it to the next generation so they can build on it. Yeah. I don't think that Isaac was mad at Jacob for adding an evening prayer. Yeah. He appreciated that he took what I gave him and he took it to another level. Yeah. And that's what I think this generation is going to do. That's really good. Take what we gave them, take it to another level. I think, and I think the, the, the point in that that you're making is so good because it, it speaks to both the responsibilities of both generation of the, the former generation not to be mad when they're they're adding and, and, and but it also the responsibility of the latter generation not to scrap the morning and afternoon prayers you know we need to be going deeper you know add be more spiritual you know and say all right we've they've got this given to us you know we are we've earnestly contend for the faith that was delivered to us we have these prayers let's add our own prayer let's add our prayer let's add our voice right. to the chorus of right. the patriarchs you know that are declaring the works of god and Jacob, Jacob might not have been a morning person. Yeah, that's, <laughs> maybe, that's right. Maybe that's why he added the evening <laughs> prayer. Because you know how young people are. They yeah. like to sleep all morning. That's right. That's right. Man, what a, what a fantastic conversation. Um, I, I, I cannot be more excited to be here in this part of the country on the, at this week with two of my dearest friends in the world. Pastor John Voskis, thank you for being on the podcast once again. You always deliver. Pastor Brian Madison, thank you. I know you're... You're more quiet than we are, but I, I, I want you to know I appreciate your voice, not just to this generation, but I appreciate your voice in my life. You're, you're a tremendous friend, and I, I count it a high honor to know both of you gentlemen. Thank you all for being on the podcast. Thank you. All right, we're going to get you guys out of here. Thank you for listening. Please, uh, if you get a chance, uh, leave us a comment You know, on Apple Review. Give us a, a five-star rating. Share this uh, with, a, with a friend uh, that you think something we have said in here might can help them and bless them. Thank you, and God bless. Thanks for listening to the Kenny Chester Podcast. Please consider sharing this episode with a friend, becoming a subscriber, and leaving a review.